All right, so we are in John chapter 15 and 16, which I'm excited about. Before I start, I'm going to read a small verse that is in Acts chapter 17, verse 11, where it says, Now these were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica, for they received the word with great eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. Uh, I think that's a good encouragement to uh, always go back to scripture, determine that what you are hearing, what you're being taught, uh, is scriptural and sound, um, and not solely opinion, uh, and not based around one single verse or chapter, but full through the scripture, looking at Old Testament, looking at New Testament, comparing and really digging in to determine what is truth. And that's where we go to find truth, right, in scripture. Um, we're going to start with uh, 15, 1 through 17, yeah. I really enjoy these two chapters. I'm, I'm really excited about them. Um, and this particular passage uh, probably hits home with a couple of you guys because you have green thumbs. You guys like to garden, get get your hands uh, into that soil and see that fruit come out, whether it's flowers budding or nice big tomatoes or uh, whatever it is, the fruits that come from that plant, it's an exciting thing. I do not have a green thumb. My grandfather did. Um, I could plant plants if they grow like weeds and they take care of themselves, uh, like mint. Mint grows fine for me because I just leave it alone and it keeps coming back and I'm happy about it. Um, but I get excited when things just volunteer and pop up and I'm like, oh, look, vegetables. I didn't do it, but it's here and it's exciting. Um, but when I read scripture and and uh, Jesus is giving these parables and talking to different people about different topics. Uh, it intrigues me because he's bringing in someone's profession, someone's livelihood, and 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 making it practical for Scripture. And in this particular one, he's bringing in that of a, a vine dresser, uh, vineyard workers. And uh, when we're looking at vineyard workers, I know very little about it. I've never worked in a vineyard. I haven't really lived around a vineyard, um, but uh, I do like how vineyards look, um, and I like grapes, <laughs> so I have, I have an appreciation for them, um, but I I had a friend that I had talk, talked to that they had sit down and spoke with a person that owned a vineyard and talked to them, um, and they talked about the importance of the fruit, and that, that is what they're there for, the more fruit they can get the better. Now that's the point of the vineyard, right? Um, and that there's a word in here that's used as cut off or to take away. Uh, that word is, is arrow in, in the Greek, and that is to, to lift up. And what the, the persons uh, that own the vineyard's statement was, was that the more we cut off, the less fruit we're going to have, and we want to have as much fruit as possible. Um, and so I, I went online and decided to find a video of, of vine dressers instead of taking it from a third person, you know, because it was from the owner to a friend to a person to me. And I'm like, no, I'm going to go and look directly at what a vine dresser is saying. And the, the vine dresser that I watched on YouTube um, was very passionate about this because he was a believer and he was breaking it down, chapter 15, and what it meant to him. And his position at the vineyard was 
the vine dresser. Like that is his job. The so the vine dresser makes sure that the one the vine is in good health, but on top of that, that it's going to produce uh, the most and best quality grapes as humanly possible. And he really broke it down and made it really interesting because he, he went further than chapter 15 and we've, we've heard the idea of being grafted in, right? Uh, well, when it comes to that of a vineyard, he was explaining that grafting in is very important because when here in, in uh, the Northwest, grapes are not a natural occurrence, they were brought in. And so when they brought these grapes in, the, the vine did not have immunity to our soil. They had stuff in the soil that would kill the vine. And so they would graft it into an existing root. And I thought that was very interesting uh, and intriguing and because the root itself had the immunity. And so then the vine didn't need it. And I'm like, that's, that's insane. So I thought that was really cool. But one of the things he was going through was the, the different things they have to battle in growing grapes, and that was frost, insects, uh, mold, uh, all these things that they have to consider. But on top of that, what part of the plant is, is worthless? What part of it is sucking energy and not providing any health? And here he is just plucking pieces off. And he's like, we're just going to take this stuff off. And, and because parts of it, the leaves weren't touching the sun, they weren't really doing anything. They're just down there taking up energy from the plant. Uh, parts of it was going to shoot out and not provide fruit. So he had to break that stuff off for the good of the vine. And I'm like, that's, that's fantastic. He's like, it's not, it's not good. As, as a vine dresser, he said, it's always uncomfortable to just break pieces off and to cut pieces off because this is, he loves what he does. He loves this plant. And, um, but he also knows what's best for the plant and when the right time is to break things off and to cut things off. Um, and there's certain times where if the branch gets to a certain point, it can create a mold and he's got to cut that off because then other bugs will come in and create disease for the plant. And so he's for the good of the plant has to cut it off. And then it also mentions, um, We'll get there uh, where they were going to cast the branches and burn them. And he talked about the importance of that. If you don't do that, he's like, what you'll see when you go to vineyards during this time of year is they'll gather all these branches that they cut off, stack it in a pile, and burn it. They don't let it sit because if they let it sit, it'll break down, decompose, and invite more bugs and beetles to come to their crop, and they don't want them anywhere close to it. So it's a very, very intense, laborsome job to be a vine dresser. Everything they do has a purpose. Has has uh, it, it involves breaking things off, cutting things, but it all has a purpose for the health of that uh, vine. And so I thought that was very intriguing. And anytime you know Jesus talks about a profession, I want to know more about that profession, especially in that time, so that I can get the full grasp of what's being done here. And so I find this very interesting. Verse 6. If anyone does not abide in me, and he is thrown away as a branch and dries up, and they gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. Yeah, a lot of people could take that as you can lose your salvation, right? And that's what you're leaning towards. But that is that is not the case. Uh, yeah, that, that is not stating that you can lose your salvation. 
Um, but I, I, I do believe that there is something to be said here where if you're being cut off and you're being cast into the fire as a branch, it means that you're, in, you're causing problems with the rest of the vine. And when you look at um, church discipline, that's, that's discussed. If someone's in sin, you, you go to them privately. You, you talk to them about it. If they don't fix the problem, you bring two other faithful brothers with you. So there's three of you, right? You go and try to address it. If they still don't, the church is to, they're supposed to stand before the church. And if they still don't uh, get rid of this problem, they're to be cast out. But for their benefit. The whole purpose is that they don't contaminate the rest of the church. Just like in this case, the whole purpose is that it that doesn't contaminate the rest of the vine. And the whole being burned part is a purification process. Um, if you burn the plant up, no bugs can come in and really take over the rest of the crop. So it's good for the crop. And in this case, when it comes to church discipline, um, if, if you leave that within the church, you, you're condoning it and saying it's okay, and that can spread and cause more problems within the church. So for the health of the church and for the good of that person, you would then cast them out of the church with the hopes that they will correct their way and return. That is the whole point to that. It's not meant to be mean or unaccepting. It's, it's meant to be for the health of the church and, and, and fellow believers. Yeah, remain in me and ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. Now, this is also one that can be misconstrued as, as something where it's like, if you ask it, you can have it. If you really have faith and you say, I want that yacht in my driveway, it will show up, right? That's, people teach that and it's sad, um, but that's, that's not what it's teaching. I think there's an important statement that's made there. If you ask for anything in my name's sake, my name's sake, um, then it will be given to you. And, and when you abide, when you truly abide, if you're asking for something in Jesus' namesake, then it will be in a line with his will. I believe that. And if, if that is the case, then he's more than willing uh, to grant that to you. Yeah, it's simple verses like that uh, where people can take it and, and build an entire doctrine around a single verse. And that's why it's important where, where I read Acts 17.11 that we search the scriptures daily. That we go through that whole Bible, front to back, back to front, loop-de-loop -loop around, find all the answers, um, and not base it on one small little snippet. Because it's easy to misconstrue things when you do that. Um, you can't lose your salvation. <laughs> you can't do that. Um, and... You, you can't just have a yacht in your front yard because you said Jesus in your prayer. It's, it's not the case. There is power in the name of Jesus. Um, but he, he has a statement here, abide. And if you're abiding, his will um, is much stronger than your will. Um, and, and it's important. If you're abiding, you produce more fruit. And that fruit gets removed, right, when it's harvest time. And then... You're pruned. And that's the part that stuck out to me was the pruning part. Because for me, I'll every now and then go and prune my uh, my plum tree. And it scares me every time because I have no clue what I'm doing. <laughs> but when I was watching a video of another uh, vine dresser that was just explaining pruning, it had nothing to do with Bible, it had to do with pruning. It was a very certain time of the year. You go and you prune. 
And he's like, this is what you look for. There's this many buds. You're looking for this many buds. You're going to cut it off here. And this is what's going to happen. It's going to sprout out in these two directions. It's important that it doesn't have more than that. Because if it has more than that, you're going to have poor quality fruit. And, and so here, he's talking about pruning. When it's time for pruning. But pruning is always still an uncomfortable process. You really have to know what you're doing when you're pruning if you want to maximize the amount of fruit you're getting. When I looked at the word prune in the Greek, it was, uh, see if I can say this without butchering it, kathairo. I'm not sure if I said that right, but it's to cleanse of filth, uh, to prune uh, useless shoots, basically, and uh, to atone from guilt. And I thought that was very interesting that that's the word that is being used. The word prune means more than just plant-related stuff. And how well that applies to this situation where it's you know, to cleanse us. And, and he mentions that, that you are clean. You are, you are already made clean. And this word prune is like, a, this is also a cleaning process. When you abide in Christ, he will reveal those things to you very clearly. I don't know about everybody else, uh, but I could speak to my own experience. When I do something, even doesn't seem wrong, uh, it'll eat away at me, like I did something wrong. But you know, when I really break it down in my head, it's like, no, I didn't do anything wrong. But there I am breaking it down in my head, and there, there, there it is. The spirit is convicting me. He's like, no, you did something wrong. <laughs> And then eventually I'll come to the conclusion I did something wrong and I'll address it. And and it was wrong. It may not be necessary for you to say something, which typically is the problem for me is I'll say something that didn't need to be said. <laughs> that probably should have gone unsaid, <laughs> even though it was it was truth. It was not refining. You know, it was not good for that person to hear um, it caused more destruction than, than healing, uh, even though it was truth. Uh, and, and, and there's, there's certain ways that you go about things. Um, and it's important to listen to the Holy Spirit in those times. It's one of those things where, you know, uh, if you cause someone else to stumble, then you're guilty of that too. Uh, one of those, uh, statements of it's okay for one person to do it, but not for another. For instance, if it's if somebody considers it wrong to eat meat, Scripture says it's not, but for them, it is wrong. And if I cause them to do it, I have caused them to sin, even though Scripture says it's not wrong, <laughs> right? And so in my mind, it's like, I didn't do anything wrong, and I'd be battling that. And, and if I have to battle it in my head that I didn't do anything wrong, I probably did something wrong, really, when you really think about it. I don't, I'm not going to ask my wife. I'm going to ask God. I'm going to look at Scripture. Um, but, yeah, this, it's, it's important to, to identify that kind of stuff. And, and one person could tell you something, uh, and it can affect everything. I mean, when you look at how the world is infiltrating the church um, and, and saying that certain things are right, and churches at first are battling, saying, no, no, no. And now it's getting to the point where a lot of churches are like, yeah, I think we, we're cool with that, I guess. Yeah, you can be gay and be married, and that's fine. you know. And, and Scripture speaks against these things, but there's a lot of churches just saying, yeah, hey, no, no, come on in our doors. We accept it. We accept it. And, and that's not good. 
that's not healthy. And that's exactly uh, where God comes in and is supposed to be pruning the churches. And we have been called to do basically the same thing in church discipline. And when a church doesn't do that, that church ends up exactly like this vine dressers trying to prevent uh, disease and rot happening within that plant that then spreads to the rest of the plant. And that happens within a church. Yes, it's important to sanctify yourself, to um, really examine yourself, and to make sure that what you're doing, what you're thinking, what you're saying is right. It's important. And scripture says it throughout. You'll be judged for every word you speak. If you're crying out loud. That's That should get our attention. But there's this system that God has put into play where we have brothers and sisters to lean on that you know that that statement of you've got you got a big old log in your eye stop worrying about the speck in your brother's eye take care of that first so that you can help your other brother and, and I, th I think it's important to identify that you have problems you can't help somebody else that has your problem if you're still dealing with your own problem clearly um so you got to deal with your own problems that's just fact and you really got to lean on god for that help because we're weak so we are we are responsible for our actions um, and what we do, and we should definitely work on purifying ourselves. But we cannot purify ourselves; we need God to do that. Um, so important to identify that fruit is, is technically an, an outcome of of growth. And, and in this particular one, God's the one doing the pruning, making sure you're well watered, that disease stays away, and, and so really. When you really think about it, this fruit that we produce um, is because God made it produce to its fullest, to its most top quality. Um, even though we're doing this work, God has put all the work into it to make it its best. And I, I think that's phenomenal. It's important to realize that even though we're the ones doing the work, um, we don't do it on our own strength. There's a, there's a background going on here that we need to recognize, and that that's God is working in us. Would you say you feel like Jesus is a friend, uh, or would you feel more like would you say that you feel more like a servant? That's that's one to really think about, um, and what is the difference? Because I know that for me, I've served God practically my whole life since I was probably about ten. I started serving God in some aspect um, and, and and so it's easy when you've been serving for so long to feel like that is what you do that you're a servant but but here he's like I don't I don't call you servants anymore I call you friend and and servant doesn't know what his master is up to friend knows what his friend is up to and and we know so it's easy now uh, to say that he is definitely my friend. Now, I don't feel like a servant. I joyfully serve um, because I love my friend. I love my Savior. Uh, and so the opportunity to serve is a blessing, a big blessing. Um, it, it could be uncomfortable at times and inconvenient to my schedule like it matters. Um, but it's a blessing to be a part of this. It's a best blessing to be a part of um, helping, even if it's a background, helping in the pruning process, you know, to produce the most fruit possible. I think that's a blessing.
All right, the next portion of scriptures, uh, chapter 15, 18 through 16, 4. I think this particular passage is a really good passage to look at when people are saying, oh, when you accept Christ, life is going to be butterflies and flowers, right? Because here he's clearly saying it's not going to be. He's like, oh, they hated me. They're going to hate you. They didn't listen to me. They're not going to listen to you. You know, it's going to be hard. They're going to persecute you. They persecuted me. They're going to persecute you. This is going to be hard, Jesus is saying. This is not going to be easy. So the idea that you know, accepting Christ and being a believer is an easy life is a lie. But saying that accepting Christ and being a believer is a rewarding life, that is fact. There's so many blessings to being a believer. You know, the fact that you can have joy through persecution, that you can have joy through the hard times, realizing that he is still on the throne gives us a peace that makes no sense. Makes no sense. Yeah, yeah it's important to stand on the foundation of Christ. And that, that, that's one of the big differences. I mean, you're still going to go through life, right? Yeah. But when you're standing on Christ, you've got a firm foundation. Even if you fall, you fall on Christ. Yeah, you you've got you've got Christ. And if you're if you don't have Christ and you fall, it's a lot more painful. That hope's not there. That joy's not there. It, it's it's a really beautiful thing when you look at it. That hey, you're gonna go through hard times, but I'm still here. I am with you. This is not your end. You just hurt your bum a little bit, you know. <laughs> Why is the, the world's acceptance more desirable than God's love to some people? I mean, that's something I, I can identify with and something I've seen people go through. I myself have gone through it where what people think of me um, affects whether or not I'm going to display Christ. And, and that has been a struggle for me before. Uh, and still is every now and then. And I know many people that face that. If if we were really fearless and didn't think that way, uh, we'd be talking about Jesus to every person we pass. Doesn't, doesn't matter. We're walking through the store, someone with a cart driving by, hey, did you heard about Jesus? Oh, so awesome. Keep moving on, you know. <laughs> if they want to strike up a conversation, you could stop and strike up a conversation. If, if we really didn't care what other people thought and, and we were really excited about Christ, that's what it would look like, which when, when we really think about it, kind of hurts our own little feelings <laughs> about how not on fire we really are. And it's something to, to really ponder about. But we do that. We let what people think affect our response versus how God's love is so intense. And letting that be our guide. Yeah, it seems that as long as we're in the flesh, that that seems to be the first thing that that we think of. It's, it's, it's an instinct, practically. What's going to benefit me? Uh, I can't count how many. I mean, you, you see it in movies, you see it in shows, you see it in society, friends, and even yourself. God, if you just give me this, I'll do this. If you get me out of this, I'll do this. And it's like a bartering thing. And when we really think about it, God's like, I've already given you everything. Given you life, given you breath, given you food, given you my son. Died 
for you to pay for your mistakes. I've already bailed you out. <laughs> like, what do you mean? What are you going to give me? <laughs> Please tell me what petty thing you're going to give me. <laughs> but we, we think about our own comfort. And that's one of the reasons many of us Christians, we look forward to Christ coming to get out of this meat suit <laughs> and, and, and be in a spiritual suit, right? To, to be ever with the Lord, present 100% with the Lord, where we won't think about this meat suit any longer. It's not a concern of ours. This flesh of ours is distasteful. <laughs> All right, next portion of scripture, it's chapter 16, 5 through 16, and I'll read that. But now I'm going to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. But I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go... I will send him to you, and he, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, concerning sin because they do not believe in me, and concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you no longer see me, and concerning judgment because the ruler of this world has been judged. I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot hear them now. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own initiative. But whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of mine, of mine and will disclose it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said to that he takes of mine and will disclose it to you. A little while, and you will no longer see me. And again, a little while, and you will see me. So here, we have a, a pretty good breakdown that really identifies that God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are three separate persons. Because... The Helper, the Holy Spirit, will not come and be with them, but Jesus will go and send him. <laughs> not that I will become the Spirit, and then I will come to you. That's not the case. He's saying that whatever the, is the Father's is mine. He's not saying I am the Father. So you got a, a separator there. And then he said, when I go, I will send the Spirit to you. I will send the Helper to you. So there's an identifier within this passage saying that these are three separate persons and they have their roles, and they are respective in those roles, and they carry out those roles efficiently because they are God. Yeah. That is, what that is what the conviction of sin is, is not believing in Jesus. That That is the sin that is convicted. But we focus on so many other things. And that, that is true. That is true. It seems to me that the sins that are obvious, really, are the ones that distract us the most. It's what we focus on the most. Um, we're, we're not called to condemn sinners. They're, they're already condemned. We're called to bring them to Christ, really. And, and there's, I think it's what's wonderful is it's not us that does it. It's the Holy Spirit. We're just a tool. 
Yeah, I like that he says what what's going to happen, and then he gives the why. Because I'm a why person. I like to know why. When you tell me something, I want to know why. I've lost a job over that. <laughs> They're like, we do it this way. I'm like, why? And they said I asked too many questions. Yeah, well, I'm like, well, well, can we do it this way? No, why? <laughs> and so they asked. They said I, was, I questioned authority, and they fired me for it. But that's me. I'm a why person. I, I like to know the reasons um, because I like to know if there's a better way. Obviously, in scripture, there's there's not a better way. That he's given us the best way, but he's explained why, and, and, and that's important to me. I like to know why. I like to know the details, and and so I, I like that he says why. I'll just read that part again concerning sin because they do not believe in me. They do not believe in Jesus, which was Mark's point. And concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you no longer see me. And concerning judgment because the ruler of this world, which is who? Satan. Has been judged. He has been judged. Now we just wait for him to carry out his sentence and... <laughs> <laughs> for, for Christ to return. Um, I, I would encourage you to finish out chapter 16, uh, reading through it. Um, I'm going to just do one quick highlight here that kind of touched back on something we'd already discussed. And it says, in that, in this, uh, chapter 16, starting in 23, in that day you will not question me about anything. Truly, truly, I say to you, if you ask the Father for anything in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked for nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive, so that your joy may be made full. He knows what makes us joyful, and he knows what's important. And I think what's also important is he's talking to his disciples, and you've asked for nothing in my name, but they were casting out demons in his name. They were casting out demons in his name. So they are doing things in his name. But when you ask for things, are you really asking for things in the name of Jesus? Are you asking for things in the name of your desires? There's, there is a big difference between the two. And, and when you abide in Christ, you can start to identify what those differences are. Um, and so I, I'd encourage you to finish reading chapter 16 on your own time and dig into that. Um, that concludes Sunday School.